from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta, welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first reading this morning comes from Psalm 29, and you can follow along in the Pew Bible on page 477 of the Old Testament portion. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory of his name, worship the Lord in holy splendor. The voice of the Lord is over the waters, the God of glory thunders, the Lord over mighty waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord causes the oaks to whirl and strips the forest bare, and in his temple all say, Glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Along with the text from Psalm 29, the gospel reading for this week is Matthew chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. It can be found on page 3 in the Pew Bible if you'd like to follow along. Listen to this old, old story with new ears. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan River to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered John, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us continue in a spirit of prayer. Lord, break open your word to us so that we may see something of you. We may hear something from you. We may feel your proximity and your presence. And would you, by your grace, give us some direction? 
Give us some clarity on the way we should go and what we ought to do. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Well, I preached my very first sermon uh, at the age of 19. And as I remember it, it was pretty terrible. You know, you can tell a lot about how a person resonates with a sermon based on what they say to the preacher on the way out the door. I remember that day, one person said, it's really nice to see a young person in the pulpit. Another person said, preaching's pretty hard, isn't it? I remember that day at the door, there was not much said about uh, the content of my sermon. No one said, you know, when you said this or you said that, that was really meaningful, that connected to my, my faith. The most memorable comment at the door was from a person who greeted me and said, chin up. You're going to be a good preacher someday. Like I said, I remember that it wasn't very good. But I also remember exactly how I felt when the senior minister asked me to preach that day. I remember exactly what I felt. His name is John Galloway, and and in his day, he could flat out bring it from the pulpit. Every sermon that he preached was thoughtful and it was smart and it was inspiring and it was faithful. Every sermon I remember him preaching was as if God was speaking directly to me. And I wasn't the only one. Over a thousand people filled that sanctuary week in and week out to hear him interpret the scripture, to hear him give a word of encouragement for those of us who are trying to figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus at the end of the 20th century. So when he offered me a Sunday to preach, when he asked me to share the pulpit, to share in the ministry of the proclamation of word. I remember exactly how I felt. It was a big deal. I felt empowered. I also felt nervous and anxious. I remember wondering if he was making a good choice, wondering if I was up for it, wondering if I had the chops to preach in that pulpit with that particular church. Perhaps you have had an experience like this one in your own life. Perhaps you had a mentor or maybe a parent or a grandparent or a colleague or a close friend. Think of them now. Someone who believed in you. Someone who gave you the reins. Someone who believed in you so much that they wanted you to share in their work. Think of that person. 
who wanted you to love what they loved. Perhaps they asked you to take on a project. Perhaps they take, asked you to take on a piece of work that was, was really important, that was really meaningful to them and to others. Someone who asked you to step in, someone who asked you to step up. Can you think of them now? Someone who had confidence in you gave you the sense that they really did trust you with this work. Are you thinking of them? The person who said, yes, I choose you. The person who said, yes, I, I trust you with this. I believe in you. They asked you. They valued you. They chose you. They trusted you. Can you think of that person? I imagine that, that this experience and all the emotions that go alongside of it are not too dissimilar to what John the Baptist might have been feeling and experiencing in our text from Matthew chapter 3. To set the stage, Matthew's first two chapters uh, sort of give us Jesus' origin story. It's like a good Marvel movie. Matthew 1 and 2 want to set the stage, want to give us some insight as to where this Jesus is coming from and who this Jesus actually is. And, and the events surrounding his birth, the events uh, surrounding the visit of the Magi, Herod's brutal plan to annihilate him, Mary, Joseph, and Jesus fleeing Herod's wrath, and then finally uh, them making their return to settle to make a home in the town of Nazareth. All of those stories are in Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. And then the scene shifts. Many scholars believe that it shifts some three decades later from Matthew 1 and Matthew 2 to Matthew chapter 3, and we're introduced to this character known as John the Baptist. Matthew tells us in previous verses than, from the ones that I read that John's job is to prepare the way of the Lord, that John is a forerunner, he is a precursor, he's a herald of someone more powerful who is still yet to come. And so John's ministry involves baptizing people at the Jordan River. It's a ministry of repentance. Repent literally means to turn around, to turn facing from one direction to another, to face toward God. And all of a sudden, as John is doing this ministry, God faces him. And Jesus shows up on the scene. And, and what we have from a literary perspective is, is quite a change in the storytelling. Because what we have in the first two chapters, as my friend and Princeton scholar Eric Barreto notes, is, is that we have a narration of events that happened to and happened around Jesus. Jesus doesn't have any agency as this little child. These events that are being described are all things that are happening to him, that are happening around him. His travels from Bethlehem uh, to Egypt and then finally to Nazareth. But now the 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 story shifts, and now he's an adult, and now he has agency, and now he can make some choices. Now he can be self-determined, and he goes to John, and he asks John to be baptized. And this request, right away, we're led into John's feelings. This request presents a conflict for the baptizer. 
John almost seems to be caught off guard or surprised that Jesus would ask such a thing of him. He sees himself, we come to understand, as inferior to Jesus. He sees himself as unworthy to complete this sacred task of baptizing the Son of God. And so John says, I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? Can you hear Bobby De Niro's voice in that? And you come to me? I need to be baptized by you. And you come to me? John protests the request. Perhaps he is feeling unqualified. Perhaps he feels unworthy. Perhaps he is fixated on all the reasons playing in his mind as to why he shouldn't be doing such a thing. John wonders out loud these thoughts to Jesus. And do you come to me? You can hear his self-doubt. Can you hear it? Can you hear his anxiety, his disbelief, his confusion as to why Jesus would ask him to perform this sacred task? You come to me, you're asking me? Jesus is quick, though, to provide a response. And friends, pay special attention to it. Jesus says, let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill righteousness. Did you catch those two powerful words? It is proper for us to do this. Jesus didn't say, it is proper for you to do this. He didn't say, it's proper for me to do this. He said, it is proper for us to do this. And I think what Jesus is saying here, I think what he's saying is that John's ministry and Jesus's ministry are connected, are bound together. It's a shared ministry we come to find. It's a cooperative ministry. They have to do this baptism thing together. John has to baptize and Jesus has to demonstrate what obedience to the will of God actually looks like for the generations who will follow him. We have to do this. It is proper for us. Yes, Jesus is the Son of God. We will hear that clearly spoken from a voice in the heavens. But the divine human one, friends, is not a loner. The divine human one is a collaborator. And so what I'd like to invite you to consider this morning is this. is to consider the possibility that God sees you as a partner. That God sees you as a collaborator with what God wants to accomplish in the world. I'm talking to you. You who are raising a family. You who are retired. You who are in a job transition. You who are facing a health scare. You who are uncertain about the days that are to come. Yes, you. You. Friends, this isn't some I'm okay, you're okay kind of humanism, pop psychology. This is Christian theology. 
This is Christian doctrine, that our response to God's grace is not passivity, it's participation. Our response to God's grace includes both acknowledgement and action. As witnesses and disciples, we're called to co-labor and to share in the work, in the meaningful work, in the rich work, in the transformative work of the gospel. But let's take a moment to be brutally honest, right? Because this, I could say it till I'm blue in the face, it's easier said than done. And I think there are two principal challenges here. There's probably many more, but there's two that I'm thinking about this morning. And the first one is this, is that we as people of God, as, as children of God, we have to get over. We have to leave behind. We have to abandon any thinking that God does not want to work with us. We, we have to abandon that. We have to get rid of that. We have to purge that thought that God wouldn't want to do meaningful work with us, that God wouldn't want to change the world with us and through us, that God wouldn't want to hand over the keys to the kingdom so that we may live into his good future. Even now, I suspect that there are people within the sound of my voice who have John's self-doubt echoing in your ears, in your minds, and do you come to me? You come to me. I mean, God, have, have you seen my flaws? Do you know my backstory? Do you know the baggage that I'm sitting with in the pews this morning? Have you seen me in my moments of disintegration? Have you seen my me in my moments of rage? Have you seen me in my moments of anger and self-doubt and criticism? Have you seen my sin these days? Have you seen my incongruence with your will? Have you seen my shell game-like faith? Have you seen the disarray and the dissonance that I'm living in even now? And so for those of us who have those words echoing in our minds, there is some good news. Friends, if, if you are not hearing good news each and every week in worship, we're doing a bad job. I'm doing a bad job. Here's the good news for today. Here's the good news for each and every one of us. Jesus Christ calls us. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, we find our value. In Jesus Christ, we find our chosenness. In Jesus Christ, we know exactly who we are. One of my friends, a, a pastor, her name is Shannon Kirshner. She's a, a minister at the Fourth Presbyterian Church in Chicago. And in a sermon uh, she preached not too long ago. She shared about a time when she was 15 years old and she was in the midst of adolescent turmoil. I see a lot of preteens and teenagers in worship today. Maybe you can resonate with this story that Shannon tells. Her face was breaking out. Her emotions were, were all over the place and bullies at school were doing their best to put some cracks in her self-esteem and in her, her self-image. And in the midst of that struggle, her, her parents challenged her with this idea. She had been baptized as a baby. She, she didn't remember it, of course. But her parents said, now is the time to remember it. Now is the time to understand what it means. And her mother said, Shannon, every, every 
night when you go to bed and, and, and when you're standing at your sink and when you're looking in the mirror and when you're washing your face, what I want you to do is, what I want you to say is, is that I'm God's beloved. I am baptized. And Shannon, I don't want you to just say it one time. I want you to say it three times and I want you to hear yourself say it. And so she did. I, I'm God's beloved. I'm baptized. I'm God's beloved. I'm baptized. I'm God's beloved. I'm baptized. At first, Shannon felt a bit ridiculous after constantly repeating this refrain night in and night out. But after a couple of weeks, it became routine and it settled into her consciousness. And she said this in her sermon, the extra rinsing did not clear up my skin or ensure that my emotions were always stable. It did not prevent the voices of the bullies from slipping into my mind occasionally. However, as a result of that tangible act of reaffirmation and remembrance, I had one beautiful moment at the end of each day when I remembered who I really am. I am God's beloved. Friends, I do not believe that we can collaborate with God until we get over this hump, until we come to that place of peace and the place of acceptance that God accepts us. And that God declares the same thing that God declared to Jesus himself, that we are children of God. We can't enter into this work without that conviction. It's paramount to what it means to be a partner with God. The second challenge, and I'll close with this, in becoming, I, I think, a collaborator with God is our tendency to compartmentalize God's work apart from our work. We'll say things like, God is the God of justice, and God is the God of mercy, and God is the God of forgiveness, and God is the God of restoration. God is the God of redemption and healing and wholeness. God is the God of empowerment. And we then see ourselves, rightfully so, as a recipient of God's activity in the world. We talked about that in our liturgy this morning, that we are, that's true, we are a recipient of what God has done and is doing. This is a benefit, a blessing that God has poured out into our lives. But don't forget what Jesus once said to his disciples. And this perhaps, I think, perhaps is the most bold thing Jesus ever said. Maybe even more than love your enemy or to love your neighbor as yourself. More bold than that even. When he said in the 14th chapter of John, he said it to his friends and his followers. You remember these words? He said, very truly, I tell you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. In fact, listen to how audacious this is. In fact, they will do greater works than these because I'm going to the Father. I mean, friends, just, just hold that for a second. Just hold that in your life for just a moment. And think of how ridiculous that is and how audacious that is and how bold that is. And yet we profess this Jesus has been raised from the dead and his resurrection power lives in us. And so the notion that God would want to collaborate with us, that God would want to work with us, that we would be a part of that work in the world, in our families, in our work lives, in our, in our social lives, in our faith lives, when we know of that resurrection power, we know it lives in us, 
it becomes much more of a possibility. We have to get over that hump too. We have to get over that roadblock believing that we don't have the power, that we don't have the gifts, that we don't have the passion or the fortitude or the time or the energy or the imagination or the love to participate with what God is doing in the world. And so what I'm asking for this morning is a consideration of what God is asking you to do. In so many ways, I I realized as I was writing the end of this sermon, putting my notes together, I'm basically ending the way Rebecca ended last week. And that's not by accident because once you have the epiphany, once you have the Christ child, you begin to wonder what does it mean to follow him? And the the scriptures are set out. If you're gonna be here from last week to this week and to next week, it's all about traveling another road. It's all about what it means to say yes to this for us mentality that we're in this with God. It's about what it means to respond to Jesus next week when he says, follow me. It's all about discipleship. Christmas comes first and then comes discipleship. What does it mean to listen to the voice of this child? What does it mean to follow him in and for the world? And so I'm asking you again, as Rebecca asked you last week, what is it that God's calling you to do in these days? Where is God saying yes to you and where is God asking you to say yes to God? Then Jesus answered John, let it be so now for it's proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. And then the text says, then John consented. May we consent in the ways that God is speaking directly to us for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the world. Amen. 